Please, uh, at this point, turn back with me to uh, the portion of Scripture that we read together in the New Testament book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 5, and we're, we're looking at that section from the beginning of the chapter. Acts chapter 5. Okay, so at intervals of every five years, any congregation in the Free Church of Scotland has to undergo what is called a quinquennial visitation. Okay, now, a quinquennial visitation, I guess, is supposed to be where these sort of uh, overly positive and perhaps slightly exaggerated spiels about a congregation, they are sort of thrown out the window and they are replaced with a proper... Uh, in-depth warts and all report uh, from presbytery level about the life of a congregation. That's a quinquennial visitation. I don't know when the last time London City Presbyterian Church had a quinquennial visitation, but let's hope that we are not due one any time soon, okay? But as we come to um, Acts chapter 5 this morning, we can thank God, can't we, that in his wisdom... He's inspired the author not to write a sort of sugar-coated, idealised account or history of the church. But as we're going to see here, Ananias and Sapphira, that what God has done in his wisdom is that he has inspired Luke to write an incredibly real and accurate account, yeah? An, an account of an account that highlights some of the, the the serious, I guess, and potentially catastrophic problems that uh, this church, this apostolic church, was facing. Now, as the sermon title you've got in uh, your notice sheet might suggest, the plan this morning is to come to Acts chapter five and to try and answer. Three questions about this event that we have got here. And let me just um, kind of begin by throwing this out and by telling you what you already know. And that is that Acts chapter 5 is a difficult portion of scripture, isn't it? Raises some very difficult questions. So because of that, let's be awake this morning. And let's be on our toes. And then let's consider together the what, the where, and the why of internal disunity. The what, the where, and the why of internal disunity. Let's hit the first of those, the what. Let's ask, what was the sin that Ananias and Sapphira committed? What was the sin? That, what, was, what did they do wrong? What's the sin here? Now, if we want to know what we've got in front of us here, we we really need to pay attention to one word that we have got in the first verse here. So if you have not got your Bible open in front of you, pick it up, open it, and look to Acts chapter 5 to verse 1, and notice the word also. Do you see it? In the first verse, Ananias, I'll read it, Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So, that sends us back also to that. So that sends us back. What did, what did we see last week? Do you remember? Last week, we, we looked at the sort of desired 
attitude of, of believers and Christians to financial generosity, didn't we? And do you remember what we've just seen in that reading? Do you remember the last portion of chapter 4, what we saw? We had a, a concrete example of that financial generosity, didn't we? I mean, a concrete example of it in Barnabas and his actions. Barnabas sells some land and he gives it to the church, right? And then what's our important word? The important word is also. So, what we've got here in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira is another example of people in the church selling property. Okay, fine. But what we've got to see straight away is that where Barnabas is kind of being held up to us by Luke as a positive example of financial generosity, surely we see that Ananias and Sapphira are the complete opposite of that, aren't they? Barnabas is held up as this positive example. Ananias and Sapphira, they are the negative example, aren't they? Because I'm sure you, you get the scenario. I'm sure a lot of you are really kind of familiar with this portion of Scripture. It's quite a famous, well-known passage. Now, you get the scenario. You see what they do. It's like Ananias and Sapphira. They go down to, let's say, the, the first century equivalent of right move, don't they? And they advertise their piece of land. And then they sell their piece of land, don't they? But then, unlike Barnabas, do you see what they do? They, they keep the cash, all of the cash for themselves, or, sorry, some of the cash for themselves. And unlike Barnabas, they only give a portion of the proceeds of the sale to the church. Now, look, the text tells us that they, these are crucial words, they kept back. They kept back some of the money. Now, here... Can I suggest that you can guess what some of you are thinking? You're reading Ananias and Sapphira, and we're thinking about what they've done, and you're perhaps thinking, it doesn't sound too bad, right? They've taken something that they own, and they've sold it, and they've given some of that money to the church. Doesn't sound too bad, is it? If I'd sound pretty good. Some of you might be wondering why on earth are these people dropping down dead here? Yeah? But what we've got to understand here is that that is not the problem. The problem here isn't one of a sort of lack of generosity, really. It's not so much of a, a, a stinginess because look what Peter says in, in, in verse 4 Peter makes it very very clear to Ananias that there was no compulsion to give all the money to the church Ananias was not under any obligation to do it the problem here isn't stinginess the problem here do you see it? Ananias and Sapphira lied about what they were going to do they tried to pull the wool over the church's eyes. Do you see that? We've got it in verse 8. Peter asks Sapphira, he says to her, you know, how much did you get for the land? How much did you get for it? And again, what does she do? She lies. This isn't so much about uh, a lack of generosity, so much as it's about deceit. So much as it is about hypocrisy within the church. Now, here, here, I've got a question for you. Do you see why Ananias and Sapphira have done this? 
Do you, do you see why they have held back some of the money, but they want to be seen to have been giving all of the money to the church? Do you see what what's, they're up to here? Do you see what they're doing? This is a couple that's really, really concerned about their reputation. Isn't it? I mean, think about what they've just seen. They've just seen this guy, uh, uh, Barnabas, and they've seen him give this, sell the property, give all this money to the church, and in him, he has been made, he's, he's the main guy in the church now. I mean, they've seen Barnabas, he's, I mean, the, the guy's getting a name change. You know, he's, he's sold the land, and now he is the son of encouragement. And they want some of that. They want that sort of respect from the peers. They want that respect from the people in the church. So what do they do? What do they do? They pretend. That's what they do. Pretend they give some of the money to the church. Yeah, but they make out as though they're making a much, much greater sacrifice than they really are. This is a couple giving into hypocrisy in order just to advance their reputation. Now, this is where we need to pick this up. And we need to apply it to ourselves. Because I tell you, you know, we know, don't we, that there are a a lot of temptations, I guess, in the life of the church. But I think what we have here is one of those, isn't it? You know, we can find ourselves jealous of other people in the church. Whether that be in this congregation or in other congregations, we can want the respect that other people in the church have. We see how they have been used by God. We see how the other people in the congregation treat them. We see how they wield influence, wield power in the church. The man alive. We want some of that. Now hear this. We have to let that go. I mean, we have to, today, just now repent and forget all about trying to win respect from each other and win respect from other people in the church. Let's forget about that. And let's get back to trying to be obedient to God. Okay? Forget about throwing all your energies into your own reputation and concern yourselves with His. And then hear this too. Please see that from Ananias and Sapphira here, we must learn that there's absolutely nothing to be gained by hypocrisy in the church. You know, whether that be, you know, a pursuit of our own reputation or whatever it is. You see, there's, there's no point pretending to us, to each other. There is no point pretending to God that you are living one way, when in actual fact you are living another Ananias and Sapphira, it was all about our show. The problem in Acts 5 wasn't so much about money. It was about their heart. It was about hypocrisy. And let that not be a problem in this church. So the what? Secondly, the where. Here's the question. Where did the sin of Ananias and Sapphira originate? Where did the sin of Ananias and Sapphira come from? Where did it originate? 
Now, when it comes to that Malaysian Airlines plane, what is it? Flight 370. So much remained. It still seems to remain a mystery, doesn't it? But if anything's clear, it seems pretty plain uh, that this disaster here was a deliberate act. Right? That somewhere, somehow, that someone, because of their wickedness, because of their sin, has deliberately tried to crash that plane, it would seem, and kill all those people on board. Now, when we're faced with that, when we're faced with a disaster, an instance like that, then a question rises, doesn't it? How could anybody do that? How could anybody do that? You see that question? That's the same question that Acts chapter 5 should take us to. When we think about Ananias and Sapphira, and we think about what they have done, and surely we ask, how could you do that? How could you threaten this love and unity? Remember the unity we were talking about last week? How could you act to threaten all of that? How could you, Ananias and Sapphira, how could you lie about this money that really should be going to the poor people in the congregation. You see, Acts chapter 5, we're, we're asked this question, how could you do this? You see that question? In reality, there's not a sort of big, wonderful mystery about the answer to that question. Because, you see, we are told in the text exactly how and why Ananias and Sapphira can't act so horrendously. Do you see what we're told? Look at it. Verse 3, we are told that what they do, this wickedness, these actions, they are inspired by, what does it say? Satan. That's what it says. How could anyone do such a wickedness? The actions are inspired by the devil himself. Now, where I grew up, in Inverness in Scotland. Outside Inverness is the site of a famous battle, okay? The Battle of Culloden. So if you've ever been up to Inverness, you'll have seen uh, the site. You've seen Culloden Moor. And you know how it is when you're a kid. Um, every school, every class in every school at some time or other has to take that school trip um, up to the visitor centre and you've got to find out all about the history of the battle and so forth. Okay, now I had to do that when I was a little kid here. I can't remember how old I was. But I do remember that when I, I went there and sort of go into the visitor centre, there, there were two massive paintings on the wall. Now the first painting, it kind of depicted the two sides of the battle at Culloden before before the warfare started. So there's sort of, the armies are just facing each other, opposed. That's the first painting. Now the second painting, it showed those two armies now together. They'd come together, they were now engaged in battle. And I tell you that that is what we need to be picturing here in Acts chapter 5. Because we've got to see in this event here, with Ananias and Sapphira, we've got to see the two cosmic forces that are standing opposed, but more than that, that are going head to head in battle. Because, you see, on one side, you have got the Holy Spirit, 
Now, what have we seen over the last few weeks? What's the Holy Spirit doing? Do you remember with the building shaking and the people praying? Do you remember what the Holy Spirit was doing? He was filling the church, was he not? Now, what do we learn here? What is the opposite side in the battle? It's Satan. Now, I wonder, folks, do you see what Satan is doing here? Do you see what the verb is in verse 3? Do you see what we've got? He, too, is filling hearts. He is filling Ananias' hearts. Do you see it? We've got two opposing sides, and they are going head-to-head in battle. Guess where? Within the church. And what I want you to see just now is what the two forces are fighting for. Do you remember last week, the morning service? Do you remember what part of the aim of the Holy Spirit was in filling the church? Do you remember? It was the unity of the believers, wasn't it? Unity! And what do we have here? Well, what we have here is where we learn that the ultimate aim of Satan is the complete antithesis to this. You've got the Holy Spirit on one side and he's fighting for, he's filling the church and he's fighting for the unity of believers. And on the other side, you've got Satan and he is fighting for disunity amongst the church. Let let me tell you just now that that is not just a sort of sub-point or a sidebar to the book of Acts. That is a major part of this section of Acts, that Satan is battling to disrupt the church. Think about that, please. Satan is battling to disrupt the church. In Acts 2, remember that? Way back there. We had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, followed by that beautiful scene of devotion and unity in the church, right? But what happened in chapter 3? We had Satan attack the church externally, didn't we? He saw that unity. He hates that unity. So he uses the Sanhedrin. He uses the religious authorities to attack the church. But guess what? It didn't work. Because then we get into chapter 4. And again, what do we see? We see that loving picture of unity again. So what happens now? What does Satan do? What do we have here? We get into chapter 5. We see Satan attack the church again, but this time he changes his ploy. He changes his tactic. He does not attack from the outside. Here, we see Satan attack the church from the inside. He tries to disrupt unity and he uses people within the church. So here is what we know for certain. Listen to this, please. We know for certain that Satan will try. In fact, we know for certain that Satan is trying to disrupt the work of this congregation, the work and witness of LCPC, and he is trying to do that through internal means. Now, that's not just some weird and wacky prophecy from the the bloke who's standing at the front of the church. That is something that we can be sure of. That is a a certainty, if you like. And this is, I guess, when we tend to go all Cluedo on ourselves, isn't it? 
You know, we sort of start to think, oh, who done it? Internal unity in the church, in this congregation. And we start to think, I wonder who it's going to be. Who done it? Who's going to be the source of all the problems for the congregation? But what I would say to you this morning is, I would encourage you not to do that. Instead, just now, stop. And note this. Take a note of this. Any one of us, if we are not on our toes spiritually, any one of us can be used by the devil for the internal disunity of this congregation. Now, that can come in many ways. That can be our attitude to the way things change in the church. Or it can be about our attitude to the way things don't change in the church. And it can be about our, like Ananias and Sapphira, words or our lives. But we must see that any one of us, if we are not prayerful, any one of us can be used by the devil for the internal disunity of the church. So guess what? We must be humble about this. We must be prayerful about this. And we must also be conscious of the spiritual battle that rages in the life of the church. (coughs) So what was the sin? It was hypocrisy. And where did this sin come from? It came from the evil one. We come to the the third and the, the, the final question. This is the big one, isn't it? Because we ask why. And we ask, why did Ananias and Sapphira drop down dead? There you go. Why did they drop down dead? Okay. So we get what's going on here. We, you know, we're following this and we see that um, Ananias and Sapphira have conspired against the church and they've lied and they're hypocritical. But then what happens? Well, this is a scary bit, isn't it? Because Peter confronts Ananias about what he has done. And Ananias, like that, hits the floor dead. And then his body's carried out and he's buried. Three hours later, his wife comes back from whatever she's been doing and she has no idea about what has happened. She walks in. Peter confronts her. He asks her a question. She lies. And she too, just like her husband, like that, on the spot, she dies. That's it. She drops down dead. Now, what I'm going to say next, would almost be funny. And it would almost be humorous if it weren't so tragic. Because you, you may have seen this. There was a video released just a couple of weeks ago. And it's a video of two very prominent guys in leadership within the church in this country. And they're having a conversation, okay? And it's a conversation about their views on the nature of Scripture. And one guy in this conversation, your conversation, he says that he doesn't believe that God, that the Bible has any instance of God striking down people in judgment. doesn't believe that God acts to strike people down in judgment. It doesn't happen, is what he says. So the other guy's sitting there, you know, big leather armchairs, you know, and he's, he's listening to this, 
And he says, but hang on. God doesn't ever strike anyone down in judgment. What do you do with Acts 5, man? Ananias and Sapphira. What do you do with Acts chapter 5? And this guy, the other guy, a prominent evangelical leader in this country, he says that no, Ananias and Sapphira, that this is all just a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation by the church. That Ananias, both Ananias and Sapphira dropping down dead is just a bizarre coincidence. Now, I, funny if it wasn't so tragic, right? But I hope that you see today that is craziness. I hope you see that what happens here with Ananias and Sapphira is not just some sort of weird coincidence. That what we've got with them dropping down dead is God acting in judgment over sin. And then think about when when he does it. At the beginning of the New Testament church. You see, this is God acting in judgment to send out a warning. And it's a warning not just to the church in Jerusalem. This is a warning to us here in the room. So we have to try and wrestle with and we have to try and work out what is God warning us off here? Well, folks, I think that in striking Ananias and Sapphira down dead, God is warning us how seriously he takes the unity of his church. Because think about what he does. Ananias and Sapphira... They pose this threat to that fellowship and to that unity of that congregation. And what does God do? Immediately, he stamps out that threat and they drop down dead. And I think that is a lesson for us as a church. But perhaps, especially, it is a lesson for the church leadership that we must not at any stage welcome or tolerate divisive talk, divisive actions within this congregation. So there's a warning about unity, but also, and this is where we end, okay? This is where we'll bring it all to a close. In striking Ananias and Sapphira down dead, God is warning us how seriously he takes our sin. Because you see, what they do here is made very, very clear that it is not primarily a sin against the poor people of the church, and it's not a sin primarily against the, the apostles of the church. Did you see what we are told time and time again here? Verse 3, what does Peter say to Ananias? He says, do you see what you've done, man? Do you get it? You have lied to the Holy Spirit. Then verse 4, Peter says again to Ananias, do you see what you've done? You have lied to God. This is all about an offense toward the holy and sovereign God. What we see here is a warning that our God, the God that we worship, is not a God that we can trifle with. He is a God who is angry with sin. Angry with sin. And I tell you, this section of scripture should serve as a warning to everyone who is not in Christ, to everyone who is not saved by grace in Christ. It must serve as a warning. Now, you see, we uh, hate talking about hell, don't we? I mean, we really don't like talking about 
uh, judgment. We sort of see these things as, uh, we see them as a relic of a bygone age. Friends, please, please be assured that hell is real. That there is a place of judgment for those who are even undecided about Jesus Christ. That just like a quinquennial visitation exposes a congregation for what it really is. So do you know what's going to happen one day? Everyone you know, everyone that you work with, everyone in your family, you We are all going to appear before God and we are going to be seen for what we really are. And for those outside of Jesus Christ, they will be seen as sinful and God will be angry for them. Now let me leave you with this because let me tell you the good news. You see that battle that we were talking about, the rages in the church between Satan and the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, that in some ways, that's not really all that much of a battle at all. Because you see, it's more like the sort of sporadic skirmishes you might get after the outcome of a battle has been decided. Because you see, God has wanted to save us from that anger and from that wrath. So do you know what he's done? He has sent his son into the world to win the victory for us. And let me tell you about his son. There is no hypocrisy in him. And there is absolutely no dishonesty in Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that Christ kept nothing back. He gave everything he had for his people and his church. And he went to the cross. And he took that anger and he took that wrath of God, that sin upon himself that we need not face it. Isn't that marvellous? Do you see what happens in verse 8 here? Sapphira is asked a question. Peter speaks to her and he says to her, Is this the price you got for the land? Do you see what that is? It is an opportunity to repent. That's what it is. And Sapphira heard it, did not take that chance, and she faced the wrath of God. I say to you this morning, if you have not done so, take this opportunity to repent in the love of Jesus Christ ask God for forgiveness this morning and experience not his anger not his wrath but experience that that immeasurable and eternal and boundless grace and love that his word tells us